All right, hey guys, welcome back to the Melanin Margin. I'm your host, Quimby Andre Williams. And I'm Daquan Wilson. And this is the talk show dedicated to bringing the marginalized to the spotlight to uplift the Black voices that will no longer stay silent. So let's get into this week's race conversation, nativism and colorism. All right, sis, so let's ask this question right here. So why is there such a separation between African-Americans and Africans? Ooh, that's a big question. And I think there's so many ways that you can approach a question like that. I think one of the biggest things in this separation is this idea of white supremacy, just like being internalized within people. Mm -hmm. um, I think for a lot of African-Americans or people of the African diaspora, there is this sort of respectability that comes with a certain whether it be certain nationality or certain hue in terms of like your skin tone um, mm -hmm. there's this certain attribution to whiteness that people want and then that can like as that is internalized within a community that then therefore breaks down the community even more and causes some division yeah, I, I agree. Um, I feel like there's a lot of separation there, mostly due to the fact of there, there seems to be this kind of lack of connection that Africans seem to see with African-Americans. It's mm -hmm. almost like the idea of trying to um, own Blackness, if that makes any sense. Like if they, they consider themselves more Black or more connected than African-Americans, which I completely disagree with and completely disavow, but it seems to be that kind of like, you're not really African or like we shouldn't even have that kind of, a, we shouldn't even have that uh, classification. Cause there's oftentimes there's almost like a superiority in the um, African community versus when it comes to African-Americans, which I've noticed a lot too. I mean, have you noticed that as well? Yeah, I would say definitely agree with you on the fact that um, I think part of this comes from an idea of who has culture. Yeah. So African people who are from Africa or maybe they're like first generation immigrants, they yeah. have a lot more connection to that culture or even African um, Afro-Caribbean people have yeah. much more access to a certain culture that for African-Americans being black in America, America kind of absorbs your culture. Black culture yeah. is absorbed into the mainstream American culture and then that leaves African-Americans quote unquote cultureless, even though I think that black people do have culture, a lot of culture. Yeah, um, I think it goes back to that comment. Did that cut you off? No, you're good. Okay, just making sure. Um, I think that there's just this kind of understanding I think that we need to have is the facts of that black culture is not, or African culture, whatever the case may be, are both together and separate in some ways, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Like, yes, there's a degree of separation when it comes to African culture and African-American culture, but the roots of our culture are still in blackness, if that makes any sense. So, you know, there are definitely some traditions that are celebrated in African culture that I don't particularly prescribe to, or there are some traditions that we as African-Americans in this society celebrate that Africans may not. So there is this kind of uh, back and forth, I guess, there. But I feel like if we are Black people and we are contributing to Black culture, it, it, or Af I feel like, I feel like all African culture is African American culture. If that makes any sense. Like, it, there's, there's, I feel like there is a separation as to how it's used or how it's um, expressed. But I think that it's all kind of intermingled in some ways. If that makes any sense. Like, yeah. there is, there's a degree of separation because of the, like I said, the um, certain um, minute differences in it. But I think that if we are black, if, like, if you are a black person and you are within this culture, you are contributing to African culture because it's all kind of, kind of a, a trinkle effect that, that makes any sense. Yeah, I would actually push back on that idea. I think that while black people do have some claims to aspects of African culture because you know, even though slavery happened, their yeah. culture just didn't get completely washed away. But I would yeah. hesitate to say that African culture is also black culture because at the end of the day, Africa is this very vast continent. Uh -huh. There's so many different subcultures and 
ethnic groups, um, all types of things. And for us as Black people, a lot of times our lineages um, come from some parts of West Africa, mm-hmm. which means that there is plenty of places in East Africa or South Africa that have this large cultural capital in America, yet a lot of our like personal connections are not to those places. So I think that one of the problems that come with African Amer- African Americans kind of prescribing to African culture is we kind of dilute African culture into this one thing when really there's so many different differences between somebody who's from Ghana or who's from Kenya or even like within Ghana there's so many different like groups of people within that country and I guess maybe I didn't clarify what I was saying let me kind of read let me kind of restructure what I was trying to say because I wasn't exactly saying that there isn't what I'm trying to say is all black people contribute to black culture and blackness Mm -hmm. And my thing is just because you were raised in African culture, African-American culture does not make you less black or does not make your culture's contribution, whether it's Ghana Ghana contribution or African contribution, West African contribution, whatever, it's all contributing to the the greater um, blackness diaspora kind of, you see what I'm saying? Like that's kind of what I was trying to say. So I wanted to kind of clarify that what I meant was we are all contributing to blackness. You know, yes. instead of that idea of separating it, it's like, yes, this is a different type, but it, it's all blackness to some extent. Yeah, it's and all I think that like, um, sorry, to, was I cutting you off? No, you're fine, you're good, okay. go ahead. I was just gonna say that I think that even if you look at just like how black people are perceived, like at the end of the day, whether you are African-American or Afro-Caribbean or yeah. African, you're still gonna be seen as black. So yes. even with these, Um, differences or contradictions we have within our communities outside communities are still going to impose the same racist systems on us regardless of whether regardless of where it's coming from yeah I think I think honestly it's uh kind of a conversation of I think that I think that there's just this level of like because I I notice a lot of times that especially people in African cultures or more more predominantly that that there seems to be almost looking down on African-Americans, which I don't really understand. And I wonder, do you have any clarification of that? Like, why does, have you noticed, or do you have any understanding of why there's this kind of looking down on African-Americans? Mm, or like I demeaning? Don't really have any explanation for that, but I don't know. I feel like in my experience, I've seen a lot of the opposite. So I've seen really? like, even like growing up, you know, everybody made fun of this Africa as like this backwards type country or, you Uh know, calling darker skinned people like African booty scratchers. Um, So there was like, (laughs) (laughs) terrible, but I think, you know, it just comes from being in this American society that promotes, you know, colonialism and just like degradation of African countries as being just like third world or this dark continent. and, but I, and it's so odd because for me, my experience is completely different than that. Because when I would, like I said, a lot of the experience that I have with almost like African people um, or people who like come from African countries, um, I would oftentimes see like, it's almost kind of this idea of like, you know, oh, you know, we're, we're uh, of a higher class than you, if that makes any sense, like higher class culturally. Mm-hmm. We're of a, a higher cultural class than you are because you're African-American and not like that. So it's really it, it to me it's kind of almost like I said that mind-boggling thing of like you know it, it we're that in that intercultural kind of uh superiority that comes there and that kind of levels there and it just it, it really it, it doesn't make sense to me because I feel like I said before I feel like all of our contributions to blackness are valid you know right. there's no there is no um no one can no one define there is no definition of blackness there is no distinct if you it has to be this that and that or you have to do this that and that to be considered black you know what i'm saying and i think that while african american culture does borrow from a lot of the european stuff that is actually here because we were raised in american society and there's a systemic racism there but i feel like you know when we like things like hip-hop and uh, things, uh, things like you know, uh, certain, th- certain, certain aspects of what we have kind of created here. Yes, they were influenced by other, um, like European influences or other things like that, and colonialism, whatever, all that stuff. 
but it was also our own individuality being expressed, jazz music, uh, uh, scat, you know, stuff like that. Like these were all things that contributed, the Harlem Renaissance, things like that. We contributed to blackness, to the, to the greater Mecca that is blackness. So I think that it's just, it's, it's, it's frustrating to me that we can't, that there, there is this kind of uh, pushback that we I sometimes see from Africans when it comes to African-Americans. Like I said before, we're all black at the end of the day. Right. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. I think that when it comes to this fight against anti-blackness or racism or whatever, you can't necessarily just focus on one place because yeah. Um, when you're dealing with something like anti-Blackness, you really have to tackle such a broad issue. And that happens all across the globe. So I definitely ascribe to more of a pan-Africanist thinking in terms of we really need to be focused on the struggles of Black people all across the diaspora. Yes. I honestly want to talk to you about that part that you said earlier about um, the depictions of Africa in major media and sources like that. I mean, what we see is almost like a savage mm-hmm. version of Africa, whereas that's not the whole like, um, like specifically uh, Barbados. Um, I would oftentimes hear a lot of people, you know, talk about it as if it was kind of like a third world country or whatever the case may be. And, you know, talking to one of my friends about it, she, uh, um, they were like, oh, well, you know, there's this, there's this kind of idea that like, we are like, less like we don't have the internet or like you know tv or that we don't have like malls and stuff and it's kind of like you know that's not at all what Barbados is and so she would like show me pictures and stuff like that and we would kind of have this understanding like you know it's crazy how even like you know as an African-American like you know um, because of what I've been exposed to in our textbooks and in our television and media and stuff like that even in our novels and books that it almost seems like, it almost, like I said before, demeans um, African anything. It's almost like, it's always like, they're always culturally back or savage or like, they don't have, they don't have the things that we have here. Does that make sense? Yeah, 100%. And I would agree with you. I think like in my experience, what I've seen of Africa has definitely been different from what I've experienced. So like- Yes, the reality. Yeah, like I have very limited experience in terms of like Africa, in terms of like I went to Tanzania and that was about the only country I went to in Africa. But my experience going there and actually seeing it for my own eyes and like being able to like talk to the people who live there is completely different than the media depictions that we see. And I think a lot of it comes to just like both, you know, systemic racism, but also what we decide as being valuable or just like thinking about what is the depictions that we want to put out there because you have you know people who go to countries where they're like oh I'm going to volunteer and help out the people there because it's so bad there and so they yeah. take all these pictures of you know people who are starving for just or, five cents a day <laughs> right if I hear one more of those things, <laughs> <laughs> but you see all of these pictures that depict it in such a negative light, yes. like they're, they need our help. We are saving them. When in reality, they have been living without you for so long. They, just because they don't have this Western sense of values yeah. or traditions or whatever, doesn't mean that they're any lesser than us. It goes back to, it harkens back to what you were saying before about performative allyship, mm-hmm. where it's like, you know, in, in trying to quote unquote help the black community or help African communities or the case may be, they're also perpetuating this image that Africa or black people are leagues behind culturally and um, uh, mechanically and stuff like that. Don't get me wrong, there are definitely areas of Africa that are, you know, less fortunate in certain, in certain aspects, but that is not the entire realm of what Africa is. Right. And like and like you said before, that's what we are seeing on television is that same five cent a day commercial. And it's kind of like, oh, God, wow. Like you'd be like, oh, my, like, what is what is going on down there? But it's like that's only just a very that's a that's a a specific area or a specific whatever. So it just it frustrates me that we're not able to see, like you said before, the more positive um, depictions of Africa as well. It's kind of like the idea of, um, like I said, or uh, the um, when we see on television, we always hear about black deaths, and very hard to hear about black success. You know, mm-hmm. we always hear about black deaths. We always hear, about, which is definitely valid, 
Mm-hmm. And we definitely need to hear about that. But once again, we hear about black deaths, we hear about black people stealing, we hear about black people committing crimes, but black success is not as celebrated as black failure. Right. It's not newsworthy. It's not newsworthy. Yeah. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. I yeah, think and, that, that, and that's the problem. Yeah, I think it's such a huge problem. And I think that we really need to be moving away from that. I think we need to be moving towards something that where we can feel like we can celebrate Blackness wherever it is um, and be able to like, as African-Americans celebrate our African-Americanness, but also celebrate um, African heritage throughout the diaspora and being able to put those positive images of Black people out into the world. So let me ask you, Daquan, how do you, how do you connect to your African heritage? I think for me, one of the biggest things is just like research. I think like as somebody who's a college student and like very into academia, I just do a lot of research on different aspects of African heritage. And like, even if it's not something that I personally connect with or I have any ties to, it's still being able to see the beauty of the African diaspora and being able to recognize those certain things. So I think that being able to have a knowledge of like what Africa is or what aspects of our culture or our heritage comes from that African lineage is very important in being able to celebrate those ideas. But I'll pass it off to you. What what do you do to celebrate? Um, For for me, I take it from a more spiritual um, place, Um, like the whole ancestral magic and stuff like Mm -hmm. that, the connections that we have in in Africa in those ways, because a lot of our culture, and we'll get to this in another episode, but um, a lot of our culture has been almost tainted by uh, white, um, white uh, tearing down a white superiority against African-American people to try to keep us in place as slaves before, especially with the Baptist Christian religions that Mm -hmm. were used to make black people feel like it was okay to be slaves and it was God's will and they'll be awarded in afterlife again, another episode. But um, the way that I kind of, you know, sort of celebrate my African heritage is by learning more about more African um, religions and learning about, you know, the things that we kind of lost in translation um, in our history. Because like I said before, I was raised in the Baptist faith, but that wasn't the faith that my people came from, you know? Right. And for me, it's more of like clarifying. Cause like I said, I'm, I'm also Cherokee. So like, there's a lot of, you know, that part of my heritage as well on, on top of my African heritage. So there's, I, I look at it from more of a spiritual place and kind of seeing that kind of ancestral magic of being a black person, being a, a Native American person or a Cherokee person and kind of seeing, like kind of looking, looking in and investigating and looking through things that before were always seen as satanic or evil. Cause a lot of, uh, unfortunately because of white superiority and because of white supremacy, um, a lot of our original religions like voodoo, uh, um, you know, stuff like that, all these um, older religions, Native American as a religion, um, a lot of them have been uh, viewed as demonic or wicked or evil because it practices right. certain spiritual things like, you know, praying to other gods that aren't the one that, you know, Christian faith teaches us. Again, another episode. But the point is, that's how I kind of um, bring that kind of connection back, I suppose, is trying to n- trying to look past what white um, supremacy has taught me about African culture and African religion and Native American religion and sort of look at it from well, what is it actually teaching? You know, mm-hmm. what's the true message behind these cultures and these and these faith sets and these faith systems? And what I found is that it's just, it, it's a lot more accepting and peaceful. Again, <laughs> that'll be an episode later, but we'll get to that. But the point is, what I've noticed is that it's not at all the monster in the closet that we've kind of been taught in um, this white society that we live in. Yeah, definitely. I think that in terms of how black people can feel connected to an African heritage. I think a lot of it comes to being able to decolonize your mind, decolonize how you think about African spirituality, decolonize how you think about African geography, decolonize all of these these preconceived notions that we have of Africa and really being able to embrace what truly is Africa for its many different countries, for its many different cultures. Um, And I think that's something that can happen 
across the diaspora in terms of decolonizing how you think about the Caribbean and Caribbean people, um, African people in Brazil, all of these different places. I think the starting point is really being able to decolonize your mind. I think, you know, bringing it back, appreciate from a distance. distance, You don't necessarily have to, you know, start donning dashikis and all these different things, but being able to like get a good foothold in what really is these aspects of African cultures is the first step in being able to like wipe this white supremacist notion of Africa out of it. I think that I also I agree with everything you just said. And bitch, hashtag decolonize your mind. That's the next thing that's popping. But um, I completely agree. And I think that a lot of that also comes from uh, the Black community, the African-American community, and the African-American community. Um, instead of this kind of back and forth and this kind of tension we have to kind of alleviate that and kind of share those experiences um, that we both had. Because I mean, like I said before, you know, when I would look at certain um, African YouTubers, whatever it's being, learning about their particular, uh, how they celebrate and how they do their certain things. You know, there's so many, there's, there's vastly different experiences. You know, the African experience and the African-American experience is completely different. And I think that a way that we can start to, you know, grow is to unite, you know, and to, and to speak with each other and to have this conversation and say, tell me about your experience as an African. You know, tell me about your experience in this, in that, in that sense, you know? So let's move the conversation on further to our next topic, which is the light skin versus dark skin colorism that is in the African-American community. So Daquan, do you have any experience with colorism? Personally, no. I haven't had a lot of experiences with colorism, like, against me. Like, I have the privilege in terms of, like, I have never been the darkest person in my class. Um, Mm -hmm. So a lot of the colorist language was often thrown at them uh, in terms of just like seeing dark skinned black women as roaches or something like that. And like, yeah, we can talk about colorism forever, but I think (laughs) at the end of the day, colorism ain't it. Yeah, I've noticed it heavily in my life. It's been something that I've seen in our dialogue. It's something that I've seen in um, just how people approach certain people and certain women. And especially, it's very prevalent in uh, women of color. Um, Mm -hmm. We will definitely see there's a lot of of colorism there. And it's it's actually really, really sad because, you know, it's it's this idea that uh, what I've noticed too, a lot of the um, negative stereotypes that we will see, because like you said before, you know, for me personally, I'm medium skinned. So I'm not really in any of the, um, the you know, I, I don't have those same experiences on either side. You know, I'm, I'm not light enough to be considered light skinned. And I'm, dark, I'm not dark enough to be considered dark skinned or to have the same experiences dark skinned people have had to endure. But I oftentimes, especially in early middle school, like young, I would oftentimes see like people, like there was this kid in my class who was darker skinned, like really dark skinned. And everybody like, well, if you cut off the lights, we can't see him. <laughs> and it was just so, it was always such a, a moment. Of, it was always a, always a joke. Yeah. And I've seen that so much. And I'm just kind of like, you know, and, it, and once again, it had become so ingrained that, you know, you just don't even really talk about it. And especially when hearing, you know, um, black men even say that, oh, I like, I like light-skinned girls because they're gonna make some pretty babies with a case of me. And I'm kind of like, since when the fuck was dark-skinned babies ugly? Right. Like, like since, since <laughs> You're perpetuating these notions of beauty standards, which we kind of talked about before, but yeah, just to like reiterate, like there's always been this notion that like when it comes to fashion magazines or TV yes. or whatever, like if you are darker skinned, you are less desirable. So anytime there, like there's le- there's a lack of representation for black people in so many different fields as in yes. general, but that few representation there is, it's always lighter skinned people. Even if we think about how people are casted in music videos, yes. you will literally write like in that bio or description, it has to be like a light skinned person or yes. they'll typecast you just based off of your skin color. Yes, I know. And my thing is, you know, it's it's crazy because even in certain movies, we would see 
this same kind of dialogue, especially, I don't know if you heard about this. There was a woman who came forward um, uh, straight out of Compton mm -hmm. um, about their cast. Have you heard about this too? Yeah. For those of you who don't know, there was this woman who um, spoke about the casting list for um, the people that we see in the beginning of the film, the girls that are in the room. And each of them kind of, like there were like type A girls, type B girls, type C girls, type D girls. And each, it was like type A with this light skin, long flowing straight hair and blah, 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 whatever the case would be. And the type D or the like the least, whatever, like the ratchet, which is another colonial term, but that's another conversation. But it's, it, they call them the ratchet ones, the loud ones there. They're not, they're not, they're ugly, they're dirty, they're darker. And it's kind of like, this is the dialogue that black, our own people are, starting to, I, I guess, consistently perpetuating this image that darker skinned people are less desirable than lighter skinned people. And I just, I never, I never aligned with that. Like even as a kid in this particular upbringing, in that particular, you know, whatever, middle school, high school, whatever, like it never made sense to me because I've seen beautiful dark skinned women, dark skinned men and beautiful and light skinned men and dark skinned women, I mean, uh, and light skinned women, but it never was, to me, it never clicked. Like, oh, that person because of their skin tone is prettier. But why do you think that that's so prevalent in African-American community? Where do you think it comes from? I think it has its roots in like some of the earliest depictions of like um, stereotypical images that is rooted in like slavery and Jim Crow. You would have stereotypes like the mammy or the sapphire where it's like, this big asexual dark skinned mm -hmm. black women that's like really taking care of the white kids, but is very demeaning to their black husbands or their own children, yeah. um, which contrasts with images like the Jezebel or like a tragic mulatto where oftentimes they were a lot more sexualized because they were lighter or they had to deal with this identity of being able to have like white passing or be more yes. desirable to white masters because their ki kids can be white passing. Um, so I think it's very much rooted in that these stereotypical images that have been going on for centuries that we still see today. I think it even goes further back than that, Daquan. I think it goes back to slavery, this idea that the field slave versus the house slave. Yeah. And the idea that if you were of lighter skin, you worked in the house because that was you were considered closer to the master. You were considered closer to um, master shade. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of like this idea that it's this idea that the closer uh, closer to whiteness is close to godliness almost. Mm. You know, it's that really uh, white supremacist idea that you know the whiter you are, the better you are, and the darker you are, the worse you are. I mean, even the even um uh the Malcolm X movie I remember um when they talked about if you look up the word white in the dictionary and look up the word uh, black in the dictionary, just this idea that light or white is innocent and pure and sweet and whatever and dark and black is wicked and evil and, uh, uh, and immoral and whatever the case may be. And, you know, these depictions that we see um, in, in, in slavery and all this stuff like that, you know, there was this, it, it's all because you would even hear the conversations in school where we would hear people say, Oh, you will be a field nigga. Or you'll be a, you will be a house, you know, whatever you'd be right. like, whatever. And it's, and it's just, it's toxic. It's very, very toxic in the community because it's become so ingrained in us that we don't even, it feels like we can't even see out of it. Yeah, definitely. And we still perpetuate these systems, not only in how we talk, but just like what we watch, even these kind of like black movies or TV oh, shows yes. praise, they also have all of these aspects of colorism within it. And I think one of the biggest things is we often don't have these conversations enough about yes. what colorism is and what impact it has on people. Because at the end of the day, there is no one shade of black. Black has so many different shades, so many different hues. And yes. we have to respect the beauty of all of those different shades. Yeah, I, and back to what you were saying about, you know, how we even do it in our perpetuate this image in our own community. I mean, people like Tyler Perry and, you know, a lot of his movies and especially in his plays too, um, you would see a lot of these uh, lighter skinned people always taking on the better, especially in the, not, it, the plays were a little bit funny sometimes, but mm -hmm. the movies 
Um, when I fun, funny as in when it comes to that kind of thing, like it was like, uh, like it was a little bit like messy, but like you know, the, especially the movies, like specifically Diary of a Mad Black Woman, um, the darker skinned man was the one who made her bark like a dog and treated her like crap. Right. And in Family Reunion, the darker skinned man was the one beating the woman. And then in Diary of a Mad Black Woman, the lighter skinned guy was the one Shamar Moore, which again, Shamar Moore is my, like, it may be my skin tone or darker, but in that movie, he looked light bright. Like he looked almost white. Like he was, it was he was real bright in that movie. I don't know if we just make up a lighting, but girl, he was a little too bright in that movie. But the point I'm trying to make here is that in these films, even in like even even in shows that go back as far as like like even shows like Martin, like you know that Gina was this almost white. Like unfortunately, Tisha Campbell at that time she was really 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 light skinned, almost white passing, with her straight hair. Straight Bob and Pam was the darker skinned friend who was loud mouth and ghetto, quote unquote, and always had the different hairstyles with the case and be whatever. And it was always like she was being made fun of. And Gina was kind of like the epitome of beauty in that. Sh- Does that make sense? Yeah. Like in that show, she was kind of seen as the more favorable, innocent, sweet one. And Pam was like, oh, the, the dog, like Martin has called her a dog, a horse with the case. And of course, those are those. It's the it's that hate you I hate you storyline with the case of be you know that's what that a lot of shows do yeah. but it still has an effect on youth when they see that this darker skinned woman is the one that's being bullied more than this lighter skinned woman there is something that goes into your brain then going like well maybe dark skinned women aren't that or maybe dark skinned women are this right we live in a time where TV and social media and all of that stuff is our primary way of socialization it's what we see so much so when you have cartoons like even like the proud family which yes i love the oh yes but you you see like characters like dejanay their depiction being so problematic in terms of she's dark skinned she's ratchet she comes from a family that has 511 children like all of these different things being and assumed. the fact that one of the the uh the hood gangster characters were all so black they were blue. Yeah, the further perpetuating the image that black people are aggressive and, and the darker they are, the worse they are. Right. So all of this is happening at such a young age, and even in shows, other shows, like you see a lot of times where characters just like mysteriously change color. Like you yes. have like the Fresh Prince where you had like the dark skin <laughs> Vivian and then all of a sudden they were light skin and it's like you don't address that at all. With or my wife and kids. Right. And then it's one of those things that even in like the scripting or the writing of those shows, those two characters have completely different like mothering styles or yes. they have different relationships with the other characters in the show. So you see at the dark skin women being seen as more violent aggressive and yeah and then the light-skinned women are just like the models per se and then going back to that fresh a fresh fresh prince of bel-air um example it's all i didn't i'm just i'm glad you brought that up because i forgot that if you watch the show um aunt viv the darker skin aunt viv was more like opinionated more Mm -hmm. more quote-unquote aggressive you know more about her stuff or whatever the case may be but the lighter skinned one was, you know, very soft spoken almost and kind of, you know, kind of demure and almost kind of like, you know, held us up to a certain standard or whatever. And it just kind of like it perpetuates, it further perpetuates this idea. I don't know if it's purposeful or not or acting choice or whatever, but or a writing choice. But it just it further perpetuates this image that darker skinned women are are less desirable. They're not as polished, if mm-hmm. that makes any sense, as their lighter skinned counterparts. And it's even in the male, the, the like the uh, black male community as well. You know, there are a lot of black men, especially lighter skinned men who are seen as soft or weak or emasculated because of their lighter skin. Whereas the darker skinned men are considered stronger and better and you know, whatever. So it's, it's, uh, I wonder why that comes from, I think that might be come from patriarchy right there that this idea that when it goes to, when it goes to, um, when when it's in comparison to women, the more aggressive woman is considered the less attractive one. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to men, it's almost it's the opposite. The the like the 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 uh the less sensitive one, the one that's a, a whatever is more. Why do you think that is? I think it's definitely patriarchy. It's seeing that being 
sensitive is being effeminate and being strong is being masculine. Um, I think it's 100% the patriarchy and the patriarchal systems that play on us. Yeah, I think, because I just, I mean, and I would hear like, especially when it comes to my conversations with a lot of my um, friends uh, or, prefer, or former friends, honestly, because like I said before, after when when you can't when you that ignorant girl, I can't be your friend. Um, mm-hmm. But there was this one particular friend that I had a while back in high uh, college that um, said that he only date light skinned girls, mm-hmm. and I was like, excuse me, and he was like, yeah, I only date light skinned girls, and I was like, why? I was like, give me a valid reason as to why. He was like, well, I just think that they're you know just you know they're different than what I've been used to, and they're just blah blah, blah and I, and, they're, and they're just you know, they're, um, they, they're look, they look more ethnic or whatever case me. I was kind of like, okay, so you want to date lighter skinned women because they are more ethnic. He was like, yeah. And I'm like, so dark women, dark skinned women aren't ethnic. I'm confused. I'm, I'm confusion I'm here. Confused. And then he was like, and then he tried. And once again, his explanation as to why made no sense. And he tried to keep making his, well, when I was younger, all I, could, all I saw was darker, dark women. I'm kind of like, and your problem with them now is, I'm, I'm just still trying to list like, can you please? Because it just made no sense and he could not explain it. And even if his dialogue, he was like, oh, well, you know, like people just photogenic. And I'm like, bitch, what? <laughs> you are choosing who you date and want to be with based off of how they're going to look on the gram. Yes. Exactly, exactly, and like we would show him, like they would, be, and, and a lot of the um the, the craziest part about it, Daquan, is that everybody in the group that I had were also black people, but they were all like when I would bring up the topic, like that she's colorist as fuck, like they would just be like, oh, um, that's just who he is, bitch, no, like <laughs> I think the fuck not. And it was just crazy because they were all, they were just so used to this colorist idea. Like even when they would show him pictures of dark, she's like, oh, she darks and I can't do nothing with her. I'm like, bitch, beautiful women, beautiful women, by the way. And it's like, where does this, where does this almost insensitivity toward like, when like people don't even want to bring, like people don't even want to talk about it. What do you think that comes from that idea of just not even bringing it up, like not even addressing the issue that you obviously see? Part of it is just like not wanting to cause division or has like some type of separation within the black community. Cause I know that at least for me in my experience, a lot of times when you bring up issues within the black community, people see you as trying to tear down the black community. When in reality, you are just trying to solve an issue or have a conversation about an issue because at the end of the day, black people are not this monolith. Like we yeah. all have different perspectives. We all have different opinions and we should be able to like express those different opinions. So it's important for us to be able to have those conversations around colorism and other issues within our communities in order for us to really be able to, going back to before, decolonize our mind, being yeah. able to look at that and being like, okay, what really is, the root of why I have this idea of what skin tone is more beautiful than the other. Like, where did that come from? How was I socialized into that? And I don't think we have those conversations enough. Yeah, I think that it oftentimes goes to this idea that when we're trying to check the African-American community for its problems, it's almost seen as anti-Black. You know, yeah. it's almost seen as like, it's, it's like you don't talk about it. And, and that goes even further back to the fact that black people, we as, a, we as a people tend to keep our mouth shut about the problems because we're like, no, no, shh, keep that, keep that under the, keep it on the wraps. You know, and it's kind of like, for me, I feel like that is the most pro-black thing you can do is to recognize that, yes, I love my culture and it's beautiful and it's wonderful. But I also recognize that we have a lot of growth to do as a culture. And opening up these conversations, opening up this dialogue helps educate us. Right. It helps, like you said, decolonize our mind because this colonization runs deep, baby. Centuries deep. Centuries. So the fact that, you know, it just, it just like I said, when I had this conversation, and yes, it was uncomfortable. And yes, it felt like I was the only one talking about it and the only one bringing it up. But I was like, I can't, I can't sit by idly while this colorist 
um, white supremacist, you know, ideology is being perpetuated. It's right. just, I can't, I can't stand idly by to do that. I, I can't be silent on those things because those are problems. Like a lot of times people are like, oh, here go Andre, here we go again. It's kind of like, yes, bitch, I'm gonna keep coming back. Yeah, because I'm gonna keep bringing it up. problematic. It's problematic as fuck. And it's just, it's crazy, especially. And you know what, let's go ahead and get into this. Man. While we on, let's go ahead and get into it. Fuck it, let's get into it. Like, I would, especially, I would notice this in the gay community a lot where I see other black gay men saying that they would never date another black gay man. And I'm just like baffled, like Confucius, I'm Confucian. Why is this our Kansas? This is Kansas, like, I don't understand. <laughs> I don't understand. Like there was this guy um, at my other job that I thought was really cute, really sweet. But, oh, I'm kind of be like, you know, I was kind of feeling him a little bit for a second and then he was like, yeah, I don't know they black guys because, you know, I just, they're just like, you know, just, I, I kind of see them as brothers. I don't really see them as like dating material. I was kind of like, oh, oh, okay. You eliminate an entire race of people. Yeah, and that's so many, like, because at the end of the day, what you do by saying you don't date a black guy or what you do when you say, I don't date light-skinned people. Yeah. I don't date dark-skinned mm-hmm. people. Yeah. You essentially clumping them all into one person yes that's not true like everybody is different everybody's going to have their own different opinions viewpoints strengths weaknesses beauties and you can't just like see dark-skinned people is just all one type of people or light-skinned people is all one type of people (laughs) you have to add nuance to it and that's what i'm saying like it was just it was so baffling to me because I was just looking at him and I was like, and I kept asking him questions about it. And he was like, I don't, I just never did. I mean, I'm, I'm like, so what you're saying is you would rather be in a, and I'm just using this as an example, like you would rather be in an abusive relationship with a white man than to be in a, because in that sense, like you're basically saying that if my true love, the person I'm meant to be with, the person who would get me and be with me and love me and whatever and cherish me, I'm what if, if they were black, it's going to be a no for me. Right. And I just want to understand, Daquan, maybe I miss the train. I don't know, because I'm attracted to people. Like, I have been attracted to Hispanic women, uh, Black women, uh, Asian men, Black men, like, this the whole, uh, our Asian women. I've been attracted to the entire spectrums of culture. There is no, I've never had this even when I was younger, like I never had this idea that, oh, baby, I only date black dudes, or oh, I only date, I only date this, whatever, only only date blah blah. And it's kind of like, what the fuck? Like you know, and, I, I, and like I said before, I do appreciate Hispanic culture, and I do oftentimes find myself attracted to Hispanic men, but I would never go as far as to say I would never, I would only date a Hispanic man. Does that make sense? Yeah, one hundred percent. And it just like you know, I can understand saying, oh, you know, this particular, uh, this this particular style of person is intri- like an in- intriguing to me and it's something that I kind of you know um because you you everyone has their own preference as to what they find attractive but once again keeping yourself or clumping an entire race as something that you would never even consider that's stupid <laughs> that that's just dumb like it's dumb dumb because... it's stupid idiot like no stop don't and I just want to ask you, I mean, have like, where do you think that comes, like, I don't understand where, how did I miss that? Like, did I miss something, Daquana? Did you, did, have you ever had that experience? Oh, it's a train that you don't want to get on. Like, <laughs> you know, keep going, you, you watch it pass by. But I think it, like, I feel like every single conversation we have, it all ties back to white supremacy. But I think it's true in terms of, like, this is something you see in so many different communities. You see it, you see colorism within the black community. You oh, see yes. Colorism within the Hispanic community. Yes. You can see colorism within Asian communities. And it all kind of centers being able to see wider or more Eurocentric features as being more beautiful or more desirable um, or having like some type of benefit to you in terms of having better socioeconomic status or having children that can live a better life because they don't have darker skin or more ethnic features or something like that 
Yeah, I've, I've noticed that, especially in like the Asian community specifically too. Um, most, and it's, it's, uh, it's across the divides. Like it's, it's just, and it's crazy how deeply white supremacy is rooted in people of color. Because once again, it tracks back to even further than slavery, it tracks back to, you know, ain't like, er, like early medieval times where like, once again, if you were people working in, they knew your status about how, how light or dark you were. So like light, like anybody who was light and bright and pale, they were considered of higher class and higher social status. Anyone who was darker skinned or, or any kind of tan skinned was seen as of lower class. And many of the, and that's very deeply rooted in the Asian community as well from what I've seen. One of my friends, he's Laotian, and you know, he talked to me about this as well. And we had this discussion. He was like, yeah, it's very bad in the Asian community as well because darker skinned people in the Asian community are not seen as beautiful. And if you see like a lot of K-pop or, you know, whatever, like most of the people who are um, celebrated and put forth as like the, the epitomes of beauty are always really, 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 really pale women or men. Right. And they even paint their makeup, like their makeup when they, when they beat the face, honey, like that makeup is, the makeup is like, almost five or six shades highlighter than what they actually their actual skin tone is mm -hmm. because of how deeply rooted that is in the hispanic culture the same goes there it's like there is this kind of you know boricua like when they when they're just like very very like you know uh a feminine like very you know lighter skinned puerto rican women or whatever the case would be are seen as more attractive like i don't know if you heard about this but there was i don't know which one has missed something but it was one of the um one of the Hispanic communities uh, um, like doing a Miss America kind of thing. It was something like that. Yeah. But there was a dark skinned woman who was elected as like who won the competition, but they like completely were like, no, she's not going to represent us. She's too dark. She's too ugly. She's too whatever the case is, just because of her skin tone. Right. Just singly because of her skin tone, they were, they, they completely, dis they completely disavowed her and were like, no, she's not going to represent us. So she lost her title. Yeah, I've heard of something like that before. You heard, you know, what I mean, I don't, I don't know the story specifically. I tried to research; I couldn't find it again, but I, kn I know it's somewhere out there. But like, it just was baffling to me that like this beautiful dark-skinned woman was told that she was not good enough to represent, and was taken away her title because of her skin tone. Right. There's this idea that like, the darker you are, the less desirable you are, but also it takes away from anything else that you are. So if you are of a darker skin tone, you can only be black. You can't be mixed. You can't be yeah. um, Afro, -Lat Latina, you, whatever. Like if you are of a darker skin tone, you are just black and you are not. And that's how anti-blackness just is rooted in so many different cultures. And that to me, I've also seen like, especially even in white people who are trying to the, the performative allyship we talked about this, discussed mm -hmm. earlier, um, where it's almost a fetishization of black men and women. Right. You know, this idea that black men or black women, you know, I knew what oftentimes I would hear the, you know, it's always a girl who's trying to be rebellious to her parents. It's like, I only date black guys. And it's not because she just, you know, is attracted to black men or she has an attraction to black men or whatever the case to be. It's because she's trying to make her parents mad. You know, right. but that's a conversation for another day. But it just, it's its just crazy to me how deeply rooted white supremacy is in our society. And I mean, about, it, it just, it, it, and I know I shouldn't be so surprised, but it just, it, it really does make me go just think like, wow, like all of the, uh, many of the problems that are in the black community or in are the, the, the communities of people of color are, are all, you can tie it all back to white supremacy. Really, you can literally everything is a problem of white supremacy. And it's really sad that something that you have no control over can be so demeaning or something that's yeah. so um, disgusting to some people. And it's it's crazy to think that like, like I can't do anything about my, I could, I could do like skin bleaching or all this stuff that's very dangerous and damaging yes. to you and at the end of the day it's not worth it like regardless of your skin color you are beautiful like yes and I, I i want to touch on that for a second too before we uh check out for today but that the skin bleaching thing i'm so glad you brought that up because that was very prevalent in african cultures especially 
I don't know. I, I think it's, I don't know which one specific. I don't know if it was Jamaica or not, but it was one of those African cultures or whatever, where like skin bleaching was extremely prominent. And it was sold and it was like, people were literally giving themselves cancer almost to just to, to, to aspire to this kind of level of beauty. I mean, people have several skin regimens where they would put on bleaching in the morning and the night and just, and they're just killing their skin. And they're like, when you ask them about it, they all did the answer is simply, I just want to be pretty or I just want to be beautiful. And like people will, and, and like some skin tones, if you look at it, the craziest part about skin tone and colorism and this whole thing, the craziest part is we are not supposed to be any other skin tone besides our own. Right. I should not be a lighter skinned individual. I should not be a darker skinned individual because that's not how my melanin is popping right now. This is how my melanin pops, you know? This, <laughs> that's how it pops. And I think that, you know, yes, like I said before, it just, it frustrates me because if you look at people who have done these skin bleachings and you look at them before and you're like, you were so much more beautiful before because right. trying to be something that you're not will never be successful. You know, it, it goes, it harkens back to the theory and the idea that when you put on another face, when you to pretend to be someone else, you may get the looks and the stares and the, all the whatever the case may be, but the truth is it's not you who's really celebrating anymore. It's right. the person you became. You're looking, you're looking outside of yourself now. It's no longer you anymore. You've lost yourself in trying to be something that you, will never, you never should have been. And I feel like as black people, we need to look at, a, we need to look at ourselves and we need to make sure that we understand that we are loved, that we are beautiful, that our melanin in whatever shade it comes in is absolutely stunning. Period. And that's on period. So thank you guys so much for joining us this week. We're back next week as well. We will see you guys next time. Like I said before, and like we always say on every one of these episodes, keep the conversation going in the comment box below. We do read your comments and we do respond. What are your experience with colorism? Have you experienced it in a certain way? Have you seen it in television? How has it affected you? Please keep the conversation going, guys. Really appreciate it. This is how we keep the show going, sis. That's how we keep this thing going, keeping these conversations out there. Let us know again to y'all. So we will see you guys next week. And thank you so much. This is the Melanin Margin. I am your host, Quavion Andre Williams. And I'm Daquan Wilson. And we'll see you guys next week. Bye, girl. <laughs> hey!